a lot of people have taken advantage of the CERB. Um, it is also, according to a story, a column that was run in the Globe and Mail, an unintended experiment in basic income. So we reached out to Hugh Siegel, who is the author of Bootstraps Need Boots and former conservative senator. Welcome to the show, Hugh. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Kelly. So you worked on the basic income pilot with the Wynn government that the the Ford government, funnily enough, put a stop to. Can you give us the basic working theory behind the uh, premise of basic income without getting bogged down in the numbers? Sure. So the the, the premise is really simple. Um, people lose income for various reasons. They may lose income because they have a physical handicap. They may lose income because the government ordered all businesses closed for health reasons, and they found out one morning they had no job. Um, people can lose income because um, they're unable to find work in their part of the country. Um, what the basic income does is says, look, for whatever reason you lose income, regardless of um, whether you were employed or unemployed, whether it was because of illness or other issues, the system will automatically top you up to a reasonable level um, somewhere close to the poverty line. Remember that welfare programs in all of Canada now, run by the provinces, pay, them, pay less than half the poverty line in any Canadian province, which means it doesn't help people actually get out of poverty. It traps them in poverty because those welfare programs discourage work. Um, a basic income would say quite the contrary. We will top you up so that you're okay for the period of time during which you don't have enough income. But then when you find work, you're encouraged to keep it and to, and to stay at it and to look for work, and then we'll tax that work in a normal way so that we get some return on the investment we're making. It's a much more rational approach than the hodgepodge of programs we have now, disability, um, uh, welfare in the provincial jurisdiction, and then we have now the CERB, which is a great thing, but it's only temporary, and then we have employment insurance, which is a creaky old program, really started back in the, um, in the 60s, and it's a program where now 40% of Canadians who are out of work aren't eligible to even apply. So we have right. a chance now to make some good, solid, streamlining, modernizing changes, which will make the system more efficient, more humane, more effective, and less complex. And often, after things like world wars and epidemics and things like that, people sit down and say, what can we do better? And this is one thing we can really do better. Yeah, you brought up EI. It's so incredibly frustrating for many people that don't qualify because you're paying into it. So you're looking at something you're paying into that you might not be able to use. Let's talk about the Fed's response to the pandemic. You brought it up, the emergency the emergency relief response. It has been, in some cases, an experiment in basic income. What have we learned from the CERB with regard to the project? We've learned, I think, one really important thing, and that is, when you have to get money to people quickly, Revenue Canada, to the credit of the civil servants who work there, does a very good job. You know, we all file our taxes every year. Sometimes we have to send in some money because we owe some taxes. Sometimes they send us a refund. But that's done pretty quickly because that's what CRA is set up to do. The other departments are based on long-term application process, evaluation of the application, either by people or algorithms, a series of complex conditions which keep on changing. I know, and I'm speaking just from the point of view of what I have heard from people who filed for the CERB, the CERB program, people were filing if they had an early birthday in the early part of the year on a Monday, and the money was in their bank account by Wednesday. 
None of the other programs can do that, and we need a much more efficient way of distributing the funds. And it also costs less to do that than it does to go through the endless project of, you know, hardworking caseworkers who have too many cases to manage in terms of welfare and can never really move things quickly in any time frame at all. Yeah, but there's not very many hoops to jump through, according to people that have applied for the C. Uh, ERB. So if that's the case, is there a fear at all with you uh, that maybe people will take advantage of the system that and they don't need it right now? Well, look, um, if the CRB system was operating as it is, you have to make a, st- a declaration that this was your circumstance. You attest to that. And then when you file your taxes, that's when all the, um, all the, uh, the, uh, the good stuff or bad stuff will come out in the laundry. And you don't, want to make a, you don't want to make an attestation on a government uh, website, which is not the truth. Um, I think the presumption that people would apply for money they're not eligible for is exactly why the welfare system often worries about people who are trying to game the system. If it's tied to your taxes, we all have to file our taxes every year. We have to tell the truth when we sign the bottom of our tax form. That's the equivalent of a statutory declaration. That gives CRA what the numbers are, and that tells them whether you need a top-up because you're beneath the poverty line in your own part of the country. And we do that now for senior citizens. In Ontario in 1975, the Davis government brought in the Guaranteed Annual Income Supplement, which was automatic for seniors who fell beneath a certain income level. And we do that now nationally through the Guaranteed Income Supplement which is a federal program for all seniors 65 years of age and older. So we do that now. We know how to do it. We have a system that does it. We don't have to recreate the wheel. I think the federal government deserves great credit for how quickly they moved on the CERB and how quickly they got the money into people's bank accounts. They were nimble and they were focused on helping people who were in need through no fault of their own. We should take some of that same spirit and apply it to the whole question of how we manage poverty in Canada. There are three and a half million Canadians living in poverty still, and we know that for those people, the cost of, um, of living in poverty is poor health, uh, bad education outcomes for their kids. They often show up at hospitals sooner with serious illness, all of which is very, very costly for everybody else. So we can do this better, and we should use this opportunity once the pandemic has settled down a bit to work on how to make our systems more efficient, more humane, and more fundamentally focused on what people really need. Sounds like you you really like what they're doing with the CERB. Is there any room for improvement at all anywhere that you've looked at it and thought, okay, well, we could change this slightly? The question will be when the four-month period ends and the economy is operating at whatever level it is in four months' time, what's the transition out of the CERB? How do you do that? That's the question we have to answer, because not all those people who lost their job uh, working on an hourly basis or whatever in various companies or restaurants or retail outlets will necessarily get their job back right away. But they're still going to need the help. Are we going to make them apply for the endless process of employment insurance? They may not have enough weeks to qualify. So that's right. the transitional question we have to deal with, and that's what I hope people in Ottawa are now thinking about. Yeah, and you have to. I think it's important to mention that people have to apply monthly for the CERB. That's right. You're absolutely right, and that means that um, when people say, "Well, you know, if you're basing your uh, basic payout on what CRA has," 
<clears throat> as your record of income, well, that's only something we file every year. Well, now they've established the norm that you can reapply on a monthly basis, which allows the system to be up-to-date and more efficient and ensure that people get what they need when they actually need it. Before I let you go, Hugh, I want to ask you a question. You know, you were a conservative senator. Um, Doug Ford decided to put the kibosh on Kathleen Wynne's basic income pilot, uh, which was, you know, it just it could have run its course, but he didn't want it to, to move forward. Do you think now you'll have a great argument to, you know, bring forth to Doug Ford uh, for in favor of basic income? And do you think, you know, after this pandemic and what he's seen done with the for the people of Ontario, with the CERB, that he might actually have a change of heart? Well, look, um, I think the premier deserves great credit for he for how he and his government have been managing the Ontario piece of the pandemic. Um, I think we've seen an aspect of his uh, genuine commitment and concern for how people are doing in public health that was probably different from how people viewed him prior to this. So I would like to think that he and his ministers will sit down and take a look at lessons learned and what we can do better and what we can improve. And I would hope he'd be open-minded to making the kind of reform that would allow us to get to a basic income that is efficient, affordable, and effective, uh, which is what the pilot project was out to try and test and see if we'd get some evidence to let us know how best to proceed. Hugh, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been really informative. My pleasure. Thank you. Hugh Siegel is former Conservative Senator. He helped design the Ontario Basic Income Pilot. His latest book is called Bootstraps Need Boots, One Tory's Lonely Fight to End Poverty in Canada.